And welcome back. Kevin Bowen in studio. Chris Presley across the way. Another edition of Kevin's Corner. Hope you all are enjoying the summer and staying safe out there. And we are, what, two weeks away from the rookies supposedly reporting for training camp July 22nd. Hopefully that all happens. We'll get into that on today's podcast. A lot of Twitter questions to touch on. And um, how's the vacay, man? It was great. Great to get out to Carolina. Um, great to see family. Um, I know you got away a little bit as yeah. well. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Even though yeah. it feels like this whole thing has been kind of a vacation in some sorts, it was still still good to get away, recharge the batteries, and, and get back. So. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. July 4th is typically kind of the quietest time of year for me in, in covering the NFL and the NBA and normal you know, 12-month schedules, the NBA a little bit busier, and Victor Oladipo with a nice little Friday, July 3rd news dump at 4 p.m. <laughs> in the afternoon as Rosie and I were chilling in bed. So, um, you know, ha- had to react to that, but uh, it was nice to get away for a bit. And now the NFL, it's kind of, you know, you know, blank or get off the pot time. Like, yeah. we, we, we have reached that point, and we'll, we'll touch on that, like I said, in Twitter questions. Um, for the next two podcasts, We'll look at offensive burning questions on this podcast. Next week, we'll get more into the defensive burning questions. Um, you know, last week we went over superlatives for the Colts here in uh, 2020, most overrated, most underrated, key edition, all those things. Um, I actually enjoyed going over some of that debate. And then obviously, we will monitor the news cycle as it evolves because it is a very, very fluid situation. What we talk about. This morning, Wednesday morning at 10 a.m. could be vastly different from this afternoon and whatnot. Um, but still, we'll have a lot of variety on today's pod. Yeah, just get, just getting into that. Uh, Kev, so all, all of your articles, obviously, 107.5thefan.com. Right. Jacoby Brissett, one of the questions that I found kind of interesting, or one of the, the, the quotes that I found interesting, that they would use him in a handful of plays this year. It's not like he's a a dynamic athlete in the sense that you would split him out wide. So, where where would what are those plays come from? Yeah, and you know, for those that have missed these article series, we're wrapping them up right now. Um, this morning I posted the secondary burning questions. Um, Thursday morning will be the special teams, and uh, we did offense last week. And one of the questions that we did have quarterback wise was, like you said, Chris, with with Jacoby Brissett and the handful of plays that you know Frank Reich has floated this idea around. Uh, when he first mentioned it, it was a head-scratcher to me. Two or three months later, it's still a head-scratcher. Um, to me, when you bring a quarterback onto the field for a change of pace, he's got to have this extreme trait that makes a defense say, oh, God, we've got to scramble and do something vastly differently because that guy is now on the field. I don't look at Jacoby of having – that trait, and, and I don't want that to be viewed as like an extreme knock on him. It's right. just that he's kind of a middle of the tier quarterback in a lot of areas, which is a good thing in the in the sense of as a backup, there's not this low low you know floor for him that you're really worried about. Oh my god, that guy can't throw it more than three yards, or you know something like that. Like he's just kind of kind of average. Um, so I'm. I am so curious to see what Frank Reich has in store if this does unfold. And I mean that in all seriousness because listeners of the podcast know full well. I I respect Frank Reich's mind from an offensive standpoint just extremely, extremely high. I think he's a tremendous offensive mind. 
So when he floats this idea around and admits it publicly, I'm kind of like, whoa, tell me more. Like, I don't see it as clearly as clearly you see it. So give me a little bit more into this. Um, And I'm a huge chess piece guy. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love the creativity. But, man, hearing this, I'm kind of like, are you being a little too smart? Don't. Michael Pittman and T.Y. Hilton and Paris Campbell and Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. I kind of like those guys touching the ball at a high frequency. And if you have Brissett on the field for five to seven plays, are you taken away from their their touches? Because in, in all seriousness, outside of QB sneaks, something Rivers doesn't right, do. Yeah. I don't really know what Brissett would need to be on the field for. I mean, he says five to seven plays. That's that's 10% of a offensive game. Mm-hmm. You know, if you only have 60 plays, something like that, over over a game, I mean, if you're having them out there for six plays, I mean, that is a decent amount. So I am so intrigued by it. But then in the back of my mind, I'm kind of like, man, dude, Andrew Luck at wideout. <laughs> that didn't really work yeah. out very well. <laughs> Quentin Nelson at fullback wasn't the prettiest looking thing. I love, I love innovation. That is one of my biggest um, reasons why I think Frank Reich is – been a successful offensive mind, but this teeters to me on like, what the hell is it going to look like? And the other coaches in the in in the division and even in the NFL, they don't read those headlines, right? Like, he's not saying that just to potentially change up a practice scheme for an opposing team. Going I mean, into that week. maybe he is a little bit, but to me, two things: it's like very early in the off season to even float that around. I mean, right. that, I mean, he said that back in like March, I feel like, right after Rivers was signed. And then secondly, it's kind of like, okay, what are you preparing for that's different? Like, when Jacoby Brissett comes on on the field, I don't know, maybe like a, a little bit more of a guy that can do something with his feet, but I go back to 2017 in that Tennessee game down there on a Thursday night, or I think it was a Thursday night, and there's a huge fourth and one or fourth and two, and, and Brissett keeps it, and Wesley Woodyard just smokes him. I mean, he doesn't even get to the sticks. Mm-hmm. And... There's just not the dual threat capability that sometimes you would have these guys in the game for. Um, so yeah, that is a um, that's a burning question that I'm very curious to see answered from uh, Frank Reich. Yeah, so you're probably not going to split them wide, um, but a guy who might be split out is Naheem Hines. And how much do you think he's going to be used in 2020? Yeah, you know this was a um, this is a popular question. Obviously, we get a lot of fantasy questions, a lot of PPR league questions about this, and. Um, you know, listeners of this podcast, and I'm sorry that I, I mentioned, I failed to mention this last week. Uh, I don't know if you listened to last week's pod, Chris, but someone asked, like, your, your favorite number 20s mm-hmm. in Colts. I, I, I phrase this Colts history, but current Colts, I forgot to mention our boy, Naeem Hines, number 21. He would be very close to the top of that list, so sorry about that. But everything you hear from the Colts is he's going to be used quite a lot. Mm-hmm. And I look at Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor as first and second down running backs, potentially trading off series. That leaves the third down responsibility to a guy like Naeem Hines. And I've always been a big Hines guy. I think he's done a lot of solid work for this team. But that's a description that I don't love to say about him. He's done a lot of solid work. Not eye-popping work. Not holy cow, I remember this offensive play from Hines. No, we, we we don't. Like, outside of him, you know, climbing over Tyron Matthew for the touchdown, 
against Houston, I think his rookie season, Luck gave him a chance to go up and get it. I can't say I remember one offensive play that Naeem Hines has had. In an article about this, kind of around the whole punt return, you know, big-time phrase that uh, that he had, or I shouldn't say phrase, um, game that he had back uh, in Week 16 when they played Carolina. And the numbers are just, they are head-scratching that Naeem Hines has not given this team more of an offensive jolt when he's touched the football. Because that was his thing at NC State. It was a wideout early in his career. It was a running back late in his career. And when he touched the football, big plays happen. So when I saw this question, I went back and looked up those numbers again. And last year, the long reception for Naeem Hines was 21 yards in a game. To a lot of people, that might seem like a lot. Um, it's notable for, for a running back. But then I'm thinking to myself, all right, let's extrapolate that. How many players in the NFL last year had a catch of at least 21 yards? Mm-hmm. The number is thir- over 1,300 people in the NFL. All right, I should say there were over 1,300 receptions okay. of at least 21 yards. Obviously, some guys having multiple 21-yard catches. Or bigger. So I just think of that and I'm like, that's not 438 40 yard dash speed yeah. utilized to, to, to its fullest. And so that's what I want to see more of out of Hines is we saw it as a punt returner. And we know it is in him. We know the Colts have a lot of trust in him. They've given him this third down role really ever since he was a rookie. He had some big catch games with Andrew Luck, a couple nine catch games. And with Jacoby last year, just in general, his targets and his catches were, were dialed back a little bit. Um, but I am a firm believer, Chris, in two things. He's got to be isolated more on linebackers and in space. That is an absolute must. You mm-hmm. have to utilize his shiftiness, which I think will happen. Rivers is going to watch that and say, guys, why aren't we utilizing this more? We, it, it's high percentage to get him the ball. And then secondly, for this offense to be whatever you believe it can be, Top five, top ten, whatever little number ranking you want to throw with it, Naeem Hines has got to be more of a consistent weapon. And when I say weapon, I mean chunk plays. I mean 25, 30-yard catches on a somewhat routine basis. Uh, he hasn't been a big chunk runner either. You know, If you look at his yards per carry, it's nowhere near Marlon Mack or Jordan Wilkins. So I think he will have the opportunity – now it's time for him to take advantage of that. And I I fault a little bit on Hines, or I think schematically as well. And some of this falls on the quarterback play. But I think schematically, the Colts could do a better job of getting him in space and letting him use that speed a little bit more. That was going to be my question. Is the discrepancy from the last two seasons quarterback play, scheme, is it Marlon Mack's injury? I mean, Yeah, it, 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 it's a fair question. It's a good question. I think there are times, and I go back to that Kansas City playoff game, where I'm kind of like, did Naeem Hines dress? Yeah. You know, it, it's just one of those things where there are some games where I'm kind of like, holy cow, where was he? Secondly, um, you know, you look at the yards per carry numbers, and let me let me see if I can actually pull them up from last season or maybe even his his rookie season, it is just kind of like, wait, Jordan Wilkins is at five yards per carry and Naeem Hines is at like 3.7 per carry? 
It's like, how? You know, they're running behind the same offensive line. Mm -hmm. So that's where him as a running back, it's kind of like, you know, how much does he touch the football? All right, last year, 2019 regular season, okay? Okay. Mac 4.4 per carry. Mm -hmm. It's a little lower than I thought it was. Wilkins, 6.0. 51 carry, 6.0. Now he did have a 55-yarder. Jonathan Williams, 4.8. Naeem Hines, 3.8. Okay. You go back to 2018, Marlon Mack, 4.7. Jordan Wilkins, 5.6. Hines, 3.7. You know, that's yeah. kind of a tri- – like, that's not just a one-game sort of anomaly. Mm-hmm. This is a guy that's been really healthy and ha- has played a lot. So, um, it's something that I want to watch. I believe he should be your return man, part returner at the bare minimum, maybe even kick returner as well. Uh, but but I, I just think he's a weapon that has to be used. I agree. Um, and, and, and speaking of weapons, obviously this this podcast is going to be more offensive centric as you as you stated in the beginning. Ton of questions every week, and we have the same questions as well when it comes to the wideout group. Who who is going to who's going to round out that group? In your opinion, who who is our wideout group this year? Cheeks in the building. Coming in, sliding in here. Forgot his mask, so had to make sure he got it. He's got it on. No worries there. Is that a Colts shirt, <laughs> Cheeks? Stronger together, is that what it says? I don't think I've seen that one. Where'd you get that? Uh, NFL shop. Was it? Yeah, nice. It love it. Love it. I have, Yeah, I haven't seen I feel like I've seen a lot of Colts shirts, but I haven't seen that one. Um, Okay, who rounds out the whiteout group? You know, to me, there are four locks, mm-hmm. and that's Hilton, that's Pittman, that's Campbell. That's Pascal. So now the question is this. Are you keeping five? Or are you keeping six? That's the debate that you have pretty much every year with, with the wideout group. Um, when you start crunching numbers, you've got to throw in Roosevelt Nix into the mix. Now, I don't think that necessarily eliminates a wideout. Probably eliminates maybe a tight end. Yep. So I kind of look at receivers as this. Marcus Johnson, Reese Fountain, Desmond Patman. Ashton Doolin. Those are the four. I think there's 12 wideouts right now on your 53-man or on your 90-man roster. So I've got four as locks, mm-hmm. four guys I just kind of call camp bodies, and those four I just mentioned, I think they're competing for one or two spots. You know, Doolin was terrific on special teams last year, and I don't think we can overlook that. Johnson has probably given you the most offensively. Yep. Had a hundred yard game mm-hmm. last year down there in uh, in Tampa, and then Fountain and Patman are these intriguing former draft picks of kind of the bigger body guys, especially Patman, and you know everyone gravitates towards the former draft picks. It's just something that that everyone does. So those four guys for one spot, those four guys for two spots. You know who do you sneak on the practice squad? You know, that's something that will be interesting to see play out over the next few weeks is what do the practice squads look like here in 2020? Yeah. You know, I think the number's been floated around of 16 guys on your practice squad. Does the NFL mandate you must have at least one position among that 16? So one quarterback, one wideout, one tight end, one offensive lineman, et cetera. Because the Colts have really been a team that they'd like to keep a couple wideouts on that practice squad, even when it was only 10 guys. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Chad Williams and Doolin were on the practice squad at times last year. Um, I can't remember if Hogan was on it a couple years ago. I feel like Christian Hogan was on it. Yeah, he was. Um, 
And now he's in he's in New Orleans. And so, um, I, you know, if you're going to make me pick a guy out of this group, I'll probably go with Doolin until I see Fountain prove it again. Fountain, Fountain just has to show it again. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm intrigued. I think in my 53-man roster breakdown I did it earlier in the year, I want to say I picked both Doolin and Fountain to make the team, if you're going to keep six. So it'll come down to those numbers. But um, I continue to come back to this, Chris, and I know we have a few Twitter questions about it. A shortened preseason, if and when it does happen, is a straight kick in the you-know-what to these rookies and these guys that need game reps to make an impression. It yeah. is a huge, and, and I get it. I understand why the NFL has floated the idea around and why they want to do it, but let's not lose sight of what that means for Desmond Patman. Mm-hmm. You can't just put him on your 53-man roster based off him playing 50% of the snaps at Washington State. You have more trust with a guy like Ashton Doolin, who at least has showed up on special teams for you in the NFL and has, you know, what, caught a handful of balls in the league or something like that. Like, it, it really, really hurts the late-round draft picks, Jacob Eason thrown into that group as well, and and by far the undrafted free agents. So we can get into that rant later, but uh, right now, I'll go with Doolin Fountain if you're going to keep six, but Marcus Johnson still kind of holds a spot that I'm kind of like, man, he's if he can stay healthy, he probably gives you the most offensive punch. It's mm-hmm. just where does he help you out elsewhere? Yeah, and those other guys, you better be focusing on special teams because oh. that's going to be your ticket Preach. onto the team. Preach. I mean, yeah, that's why Doolin made it. Yeah. You know, there are, I think, a lot of people clamoring for some other guys, including me. Um, for those final wideout spots last season because he really didn't do a whole lot in mm-hmm. the preseason. And sure enough, he became a great special teams player for you. So, um, yeah, that is uh, that is spot on. Well, we talked about the outside receivers. Let's go a little bit more to the line and talk about the tight end play. How important of a season is this for Mo Alleycock's future? Oh, huge. huge. I mean, insert Donald Trump, huge. Yeah, I mean, it is, uh, <laughs> it's huge. It is uh, – Frank Reich has mentioned it too. You know, and he, and Frank sometimes with offensive players he's a little bit more candid, but sometimes you know coaches don't go out on that, you know, a little bit of a uh, of a limb. But he certainly has with, with with Mo, and they they love Mo Alleycox. Chris Ballard is obsessed with them. Um, the coaching staff, I mean, you love the body type, but um, it's a contract year. He is a restricted free agent, so it's not an unrestricted year. But he's twenty six years old, mm-hmm. and you look at Doyle at thirty. You look at Trey Burton at 29 with the injury history. I look at tight end, Chris, and I'm still kind of like, what's the future there? Doyle is under contract for two more years mm-hmm. after this year, and I you know, think Jack Doyle can be a, a very solid player for you um, through the end of this third contract. But you need more than just Doyle in a Frank Reich offense to play tight end. And so I look at Allie Cox, and I'm like, all right, you've got Campbell and Pittman at wideout. You've got... Taylor and Hines and who knows, I mean, even a running back, I mean, hell, you know, Marlon Mack is still in 24. Obviously, a lot of things would have to happen for him to come back here, but you've got youth is Mm -hmm. what I'm getting at, at running back. You don't have that youth necessarily at tight end. And that's why I was a fan of drafting one Yeah, back in April. So this is big, and they 
they not only publicly like Ali Cox, they show it with their actions. I mean, last year when Ebron and Doyle were healthy, Ali Cox would outsnap Ebron in games. Like, he's got this big inline body of a guy that can be a great blocker, but then he's obviously showed flashes. I mean, the Oakland games, what everybody remembers of the one-handed catch that he made yep. in that game. But um, I need a little bit more. I think last year's yards per reception really went went down. I don't think he was as consistent as a pass catcher for you last season. And I believe he'll get opportunities. I mean, Reich has said it. He's going to play. They will use a third tight end. And if Burton is hurt at all, Alec Cox will play a huge role mm-hmm. for you. But this is a big season for him. It's, um, it's a season of, are you Eric Swope or are you something more? You know? Totally fair. And... This is what year three form now, uh, big, big, big year for uh, for Big Mo. Is Mark Lewinsky enriched as a starter at right guard or entrenched? Sorry, not enriched. Yeah, um, you know, the offensive line questions. I think the obvious ones are like, can you stay healthy? What's your depth look like? There are a few people that are still in this camp of like, let's bench Mark Lewinsky. And part of me thinks this is like a right as a fan. Every fan has a right. You're supposed to hate your worst offensive lineman more than any other position group on the team. You just flat out hate him. You do. You know, okay, let's yell at somebody. You know, you got it. Oh, a sack. It's got to be Glowinski that gave it up. You know, I feel like that gets yelled from Section 437 on a weekly basis. So I don't feel like Mark Glowinski has struggled as much as the vocal minority chirps about. I don't. Has he been perfect? No. Is he probably the worst offensive lineman of the five? Sure. But it's not that bad. And my thinking is this. You, you've you had Colts fans pray the rosary every night for the last decade, hoping for offensive line continuity. Praying for it. Just Oliver Luck did it for years. Just hoping that his son had that. And it finally is here. And now you're just going to throw it away? And throw it away for Danny Penter, who is a guy that has never played offensive yeah, guard right, in his exactly. life. You know, and I think Pentner has a great chance to be a very nice professional football player and could very well be a starter in this league. But let's show some patience with him. Tight end at college, then moves the right tackle. Uh, you know, he's never played the interior. Now you don't give him any sort of preseason reps potentially or a limited training camp, all of those things. Just let Mark Lewinsky do his thing at right guard. Keep Braden Smith a right tackle and see what you have there. Um, so, yeah, I'm not I'm not looking into benching him. I think he is entrenched as the right guard starter. I probably would have said that even if we had a normal offseason. But now that we haven't, I think he is definitely that guy for you. Um, and that's fine. Like, groom Danny. Groom him. Let him develop. Mold him a little bit because you know there's some development that is needed for him. And you have the ability to have that, and then he's probably your top backup in the interior as well. I mean, I think there, as a fan, I think there were games and times where it was pleasantly surpri- I was pleasantly surprised, like, who is this guy? Because he's, he's playing well. Glow? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I would agree. Um, and I think if you, Chris Boward and Frank Reich, especially Chris, has been candid before about positions that needed to be upgraded and have said those things publicly, they really have never said the right side of the offensive line. Mm -hmm. And if it really was a huge, huge need, 
Now, again, I will debate the offensive tackle need that I felt like should have come earlier in the draft. But if they were really disappointed with Glow, you might have had someone drafted third round, something a little bit earlier than you did there in, in round five. So um, I I think he's your starter. I You don't preach continuity for years, 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 get it, and then all of a sudden say, let's plug in a day three rookie that's never played the position before. Exactly. I just I don't think you do that from uh, from day one. Ready to jump into just ready to jump into some yes. Twitter questions. Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Mouthful. All right, we got a question from Sam. Do you think that teams will be less likely to resign players who do not become free agents this year due to uncertain cap situations heading into next season? You know, Sam, this is going to be a question that I think will be um, a bit cloudy for the next few months, but it's a fair question to have. Um, you know, I talked about it a little bit on last week's podcast of what does the cap situation look like COVID-wise? Like, we are about ready to get into some labor issues with the NFL. Now, you signed the new CBA right before COVID started, which was a, unbelievable. And, and looking back on it, it's crazy to think how this would have unfolded had you not gotten that done. Having said that, you know, revenue is going to be hit in some capacity here in 2020. How do you spread that out? How do the players want that spread out? How do the owners want that spread out? There's no easy answer. I find it fascinating and also that it makes sense that the Colts have not signed a single outside free agent mm-hmm. in two and a half months. You got to go back to Trey Burton a month into free agency, like April, a couple days before the draft. The Colts obviously made their draft pick, signed some undrafted free agents. But right. We're talking veteran. Your roster is at 90. It, it, this isn't a news crazy time in the NFL typically, but you always sign and cut a couple of players in the months of May and early June. The fact the Colts haven't done one of those, and we haven't seen a Ryan Kelly extension yet, I, I, I think there's a general pause and hesitancy from some teams. Sure, Patrick Mahomes' contract. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, like, there are other teams that are just kind of like, eh, I think we're good. You know, I, I don't want to do anything too crazy right now. I mean, Clowney's still out there. I don't think we've seen a whole lot of of the top-end free agents. Jabal Sheard's still out there. Mm-hmm. Clayton Gathers, you know, all these Colts guys that were still out there. Um, So I, I, I do think, Sam, there will be a little bit of hesitancy is the word that I will use. There, there needs to be a little more clarity of what the cap looks like before teams, I think, start making uh, moves again. Zach wants, Zach wants to know, does Phillip Rivers make the Colts a playoff contender or a Super Bowl contender? Playoff. Yeah, play, play, playoff slash win, win the division mm-hmm. type of contender. I still look at Baltimore and Kansas City as the class of the AFC. Yeah, I think I read somewhere Kansas City brought back 20 of 22 starters. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but like <laughs> that's, that's a nice number. Uh, when your quarterback is Patrick Mahomes, right. so I'm not going to like deviate from that. And I think Baltimore, um, unless an injury happens to Lamar Jackson, I still think they're up there. But as I've said all along, you talk about the second tier. I throw the Colts in there. I throw Buffalo in there. I throw a healthy Pittsburgh in there. Houston, I, I like Deshaun Watson a lot. So I would still put them in the mix. Some people want to throw the Chargers in there. I don't know. I mean, you're five and eleven last year. I mean, I know yeah. Philip Rivers wasn't great, and you had a lot of injuries. But I mean, Tyrod, he's decent, but he's not. I don't know. Yeah, and you got a rookie quarterback, and that division's not 
easy at all. No, it's not. You know, Oakland is still Oakland. I mean, Oakland came in here and beat the Colts last year. So, um, and Denver, I think, is a team that some people actually like. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I don't know. I can't go Super Bowl contender just yet. I I also feel like Phillip Rivers doesn't make you a Super Bowl contender. Like, DeForest Buckner and, and some other moves that, that, that you have made will help you into the uh, – if you have this overachieving season, it won't be just because of Phillip Rivers. Mm-hmm. Like, Pittman and Campbell emerging and Buckner um, – Rocky scene, Xavier Rhodes, like that. There will be other reasons why you have gone from seven to nine to possibly, you know, represent the AFC. Unqualified Chad wants to say thanks again for having the courage to speak out on the important issues in society. It was greatly needed. Appreciate that. Thank you. If Rivers has a great year, Pro Bowl caliber type year, are you still willing to invest a first round draft pick on a quarterback next season? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Um, Without a doubt, you know I I am uh, I'm all about setting you up for the long term. Look what Kansas City just did. They don't have to worry about a quarterback until you know Cheeks has got three kids. <laughs> I mean that's you know twelve. I mean we're talking twelve years down the road. I mean it's you know Rosie Bow might be talking to a boy by then. Yeah. I mean I'm just God, just the thought of that makes me sweat. But um. I'm all about the long term. And like Phil Rivers has pretty much said, and has been pretty adamant, I got two years, Max. You know, one of his sons, he's got two sons. I think one of them is going to be a seventh grader. And I mean, Phil Rivers got his next job picked. Yeah, I was going to be the high school football coach (laughs) of whatever that school's called down in Alabama, Alabama, as my buddy Frank Derber would call it. Um, Two years, Max. Like, I, I, if you can make it work and you can get a head start on passing the torch. You do it. Mm -hmm. Flat out, you do it. Green Bay did it a lot earlier than anyone else thought they would do it. And I'm not going to hate on them for it that much. I'm not. I I understand that, you know, maybe this three-year window with with, with Rodgers is closing, but when you've got the ability to get the guy that you think can be the next guy for you for 10 years, you do not pass that up under any circumstance. So um, I'm not doing it. And also, I, I, I will say this. We're, we're going to learn very little about Jacob Eason. We just are. And unfortunately, this is this offseason has stunted his growth. He yep. needs game reps. And potentially he could go the entire 2020 20 year without getting anything. Preseason, I'm talking. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's big time. So uh, if I'm learning nothing about Eason and Brissett's gone, I don't know how you – I don't know how you don't draft a quarterback in the first uh, first round, in my opinion, but certainly in the first two days. Logan wants to know if you could have one player on each side of the ball from another team in our division, mm. who would they be? Mm. Logan's on his game. Yeah. It's a great question, Logan. Okay, one player each side of the ball within the division. Um, offense, I'm probably going Watson. Laramie Tunsil would be next on the list. But, I mean, I feel like I have Costanzo, right? Yeah. But maybe I don't need Tunsil. I mean, obviously, everybody would want. Um, yeah. Watson? Watson. Yeah. Okay. I want uh, anybody else that comes comes to mind for you. I mean, I, I, Derrick Henry, I don't really need him. Jacksonville, I'd rather have some Florida high school team. I'd rather have, you know, whoever, St. <laughs> Thomas Aquinas, whoever is the best Florida high school team than anybody on offense in Jacksonville. I don't, 
Yeah, I mean, I guess you got Fournette, but no. Mm, no, no. Um, not. If we're not paying for Mac, we're not paying for him. Uh, and I'm just not a big running back guy. And Hopkins is gone, so. Right. I think it's Watson for me. Defense is a little bit harder. Jonathan Joseph. <laughs> <laughs> God, too, I would love that in practice. <laughs> He's still in the division, though. Yeah. Um. I think J.J. Watt's a hair too old for me. Oh, yeah. A little bit too old. How old is Watt? You mind you mind looking that up? Was he 33-ish? Something like that? You know, I would have said Calais Campbell. J.J. Watt is 31. 31. He will be. He turned 31 in March. So. Yeah. And the body's just not great. You know, you, you worry about that. I would say Josh Allen, Jacksonville, pass yeah. rusher, to me would be Tennessee. I've never looked at Tennessee's defense as having just this, like, I mean, Kevin Byard's a great safety, but I've just not looked at them as, like, studs. So I would go with Josh Allen. I think he had a really nice rookie season, former, you know, top 10 pick for a reason. He would be uh, who, I'm, who I'm taking. Okay. That's fair. I mean, great players. Gosh, now I'm thinking about that. Every team should have to trade a player within the division. That'd be great. <laughs> you just, you have to just recycle someone yeah, every you know single what? year. Yeah, yeah. Pass, pass pass them around. I mean, for a while there, it seemed like it's like what the Colts do to the Jets or what the Jets do yeah. to the Colts players, something like that. Um, Stan has a very interesting question for this week's podcast. If the NFL had the WWE style scripted storylines, who would be the best or top hate love heel in recent memory? He mentions Roger Goodell, Bill Belichick, and Dominican Sue, Jalen Ramsey, Vontez Burfick, Greg Williams. Johnny Manziel, Antonio Brown, Al Riveron, someone else. Stan's unbelievable. Some of those names on that list. One of my favorite gifts of all time that I could see happening in WWE is Belichick coming out of the tunnel in Detroit. <laughs> and not touching the kid's hand. Not touching the kid's hand. <laughs> I mean, how great is that? That is, I love Belichick. Um, He's got to be, right? Yeah. I feel like going back to honestly, a lot I feel like is a little bit hated. Maybe it's just here in Indy, but I feel like JJ Watt, there is a little bit of like, dude, stop it. Too much. There's there's too much of you. Yeah. I, and maybe again that's an AFC South like bias with that. But um No, I, mean, I people think it's fake, like it's played up for TV right, and right, they right. show them every ten seconds. Yeah. You know? And I mean, man, if you go to a Texans game, that, that Jumbotron is always on him down there. I would say Vontez Perfect is outstanding. I feel like any linebacker that's ever worn a um, cowboy collar, Bill Romanowski. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's a great one. You know? Yeah. How about, like, Brian Cox? Yeah. You know, some of these dudes that are just, yeah, a couple screws loose, and, um, yeah, you don't want to see them, you know, during daylight at all. Those would be good. I mean, yeah, obviously Ramsey, William, you know, some of these guys would be decent, but – uh I would think Belichick combination of some of those crazy linebackers. Sign me up for that. Scott's question this week. That was all, a good one, Stan. That was a great one. I, <laughs> I like that was one of the ones reading through. I'm like, okay, yeah, no, I got to think about that. Such one. a great July question. Uh, Scott's question this week: All things equal, what are the biggest hurdles that two preseason games and a smaller cap or a smaller camp roster presents? Well, it's a great question, Scott. Um, I would say the two that stand out to me are, are this. One is evaluating your roster slash evaluating other rosters. Mm-hmm. Think about it, Chris. Every team plays four preseason games. 
you're getting a chance to evaluate 90 players on 32 NFL teams, and the Colts had 180 guys on their draft board. Thrown out a number. That's usually what they have. Well, they only took about nine of them. Mm -hmm. And let's say five of them became undrafted free agents. That means there's a whole lot of guys they like around the league that are on other teams. And if they get cut, they want to bring him here. But they want to watch the preseason film to make sure that the game test for these rookies passes what the Colts want. So uh, it is a crushing, crushing blow. Do I understand it? Yes. Very difficult to travel 90-man rosters in the preseason for meaningless games from a win-loss standpoint. They're not meaningless from these guys and their jobs. They're meaningless from a who's going to win the Super Bowl. That's what I think is the biggest thing. I think I touched on this on last week's podcast, but I will say it again. Without the preseason, who knows if the Colts claim Jack Doyle? Exactly. Who's with Tennessee as an undrafted free agent? Who knows if they claim Kenny Moore, who's with New England as an undrafted free agent? Probably not with Kenny Moore. Kenny Moore didn't meet you know the Colts standards of height and whatever else that you, that he needs from a physique standpoint of the cornerback position. So it's not like you get to watch training camp of all these other teams' practices. No, you get to watch the preseason. That's the invaluable tape. That's the insight that tells everything. That's not second, third-hand stuff that you're getting from sources elsewhere. So I would say that is the biggest hurdle, Scott. Number two would be... Um, just in general, knocking off rust. And now I'm more talking about frontline guys. You know, there is, uh, there's no joint practices this year. Yep. That can help with a little bit of knocking off rust. You know, for the Colts, it's the same system, but it's a new quarterback. There and are a lot of new quarterbacks in the NFL this tons. year. Tons. Great point. Tons. And if you look at the 2011 lockout, while you didn't have any virtual meetings in the spring, you had a full training camp and full preseason. Mm-hmm. So you had the full hardcore reps, if you will. I'd be surprised if we get that here in, in 2020. So, um, yeah, those are those are the two biggest things. And, again, I, I don't want to lose sight of that. It's going to be, it's gonna be um, an uncertain start to the year for a lot of these teams. And uh, that might be the reality that, that we have. Big Bama's question this week with the running backs game, with the running game being the main focus of the offense, do you see Mack and Taylor kind of like a Freeman and Tevin Coleman was to the Atlanta Falcons, or do you eventually have to make a decision on Mack regardless of how well he plays this season? You know, if we get some version of this question every week, I, I would say that, like, with Mack, I honestly don't know if the Colts have to make the decision on Mack as much as Marlon Mack making his own decision. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Colts will want Marlon Mack to come back. Now, maybe the cap situation will dictate otherwise, but I don't think like Marlon Mack would, to me, like the market value for the Colts might be four or five million for him here. Elsewhere, it might be six or seven million. That's not like this quantum leap, but again, for a running back, two extra million per year on a three year deal when you really only cash in once in the NFL, Mm -hmm. that could be the difference. And, and you know, I think we have to remember this, too, is Marlon Mack was not a day-one draft pick. He was not a day-two draft pick. He was a fourth-round draft pick. I know this year his annual base goes way up in the final year of his rookie deal. I'm almost positive he made less than – I'm going to say he hovered around like 500000 600000 annually 
his first three seasons in the NFL. And again, that's just life of being a fourth-round pick. So I don't see Mack and Taylor again. I mean, Freeman and Coleman were together for multiple years. So I just don't see that. Um, no, I, I don't think it's apples to apples. Fair question, for sure. But again, I think it's more of a Marlon Mack decision on what do I want age 24 to 27? Mm-hmm. This is my chance to cash in. So I've got to make the most out of it. That's how I look at it. Staying on the offensive side of the ball, Brett wants to know, do you think Pittman starts this year as the number two wide receiver? You know, Brett, it's a question that I haven't really been one to get into too much of because, you know, I think Frank Reich uses a lot of wideouts. I think Michael Pittman, even with a shortened, scaled-back training camp preseason, I would expect him week one to still get a good amount of playing time. And I think he'd be in the mix. I, I Week one playing time, Pascal, Campbell, Pittman, I'd be surprised if any of them play 10 more snaps than the other one. I honestly think it'll be a lot of those guys out on the field together. There's a lot of trust for Pascal. Obviously, Campbell is a guy that they want on the field a lot. And, and Pittman, you know, Pittman is more NFL ready than Campbell was last year. Yeah. USC, Ohio State, obviously not much of a difference, but Campbell was this gadgety guy at Ohio State. And, okay, can he run the full route tree? All these, you know, certain questions with him. I mean, Pittman's been an ex-wide out. He's 6'4", 220 plus. I mean, he's he's NFL ready in a lot of areas. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, I think it'll be pretty e- even early on, but eventually, I, I do. I guess would slot Pittman into that number two role. Christie's question this week is one that we've we fielded quite a lot, and, and I, I don't blame her for asking. Um, it's on everyone's mind. Will we have a season this year? And if yes, what does it look like? Yeah, and you know, Christy, thank you for the question. I want to continue to get these questions because my answer changes and evolves every week. Um, I guess I have a question first for listeners of ours that are season ticket members. Mm-hmm. You guys let me know. What have you heard from the Colts? I- I'm curious about that. What have they sent you? Ticket season, season ticket packages, updates, what whatnot. I'm curious on that. So if anyone has anything on that, feel free to slide into my DMs with that. But um Christy, a couple things come to mind. First is this. It's time for labor talk. It's time for the NFLPA and the owners to figure it out. Mm-hmm. What do you agree to do from a safety standpoint? Um we've already seen a little bit of that of players not wanting to give up some of their money this year, spread out the cap a little bit for the next couple of years, all of that. What does that look like, and how does that get settled? Major black eye in baseball, the NBA, a little bit different because they had already played 75% of their regular season. The NFL, there's a lot more risk. There's no bubble for the NFL, and you're literally you know, touching other men. You don't do that in baseball. Mm-hmm. And the NBA, while you do that, you're in a bubble. So the NFL is the there's a lot of uncertainty or just unknown with all of that. Um, but this is the reality of it, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. For team sports to happen, we've got to accept that we're living with it. Yep. And you've got to make adjustments, and that means if guys get COVID or whatnot, they go on the injured list, you isolate them, you do all those things. And you've just got to move on. That sounds harsh. It sounds ugly. But that's the reality of it. You've got to treat it like this guy has a 
whatever, two-week ankle sprain, and you, you isolate him, whereas you wouldn't isolate the ankle sprain guy, you put him wherever it needs to be and quarantine him, and then you call up a guy from the practice squad, and that's life in 2020 in the NFL. Again, some people won't like hearing that, but that is how business must operate for the NFL in 2020. I think a season will happen. I don't know how far along we're going to get. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that looks like, you know, from September to December. But, you know, we've seen some team sports work in Europe. Fans, can you get 10% of the building? Maybe no one in the lower bowl. I don't know if fans would be open to that. Maybe you can have some in the lower bowl. Um, I think the NFL will go on because... The players, while they have some leverage, they don't have a whole lot of leverage because their bodies don't last as long Mm -hmm. as they do in other sports. And I think that's why they will eventually cave. Um, I don't know. (laughs) I feel like I end that question the same every every week of what the hell do I know? What do you think? What do you got, Craig? I mean, you you, you got an opinion on it? No, you're right. You you said it's week to week. It's day to day. Like. No one knows. Every day you hear this prevents it. We got this test coming out. There might be a vaccine. You got to do this bubble. You got to do. No one knows. It's tough. It's yeah. It is. It, it is very tough. And I think the benefit that the NBA will have is like you know people are freaking out about all these tests and, and oh my gosh, look at the numbers in the state of Florida. The NBA is creating a bubble, so theoretically, all these numbers in Florida shouldn't impact their bubble. Mm-hmm. Like people don't get in. You know. You know. Sally Smith, who is retired in Boca Raton, shouldn't be entering the Disney bubble. <laughs> right. You know, like, that's what now, the NFL, they don't have that. So how frequent is your testing? Do you have enough tests to satisfy the NFL's needs and obviously make sure us as public has enough tests? That's all of that goes into it. And, you know, a 30-second COVID rant for me, I want to see the news show me numbers that are relevant to July 8th. I'm watching the nightly news the other night, and they pop up how many deaths there are, have been throughout COVID, how many people have it, and, like, what was the third number they threw up there? Maybe how many times that they've tested people. Those numbers are irrelevant to me 150 days into this. Yeah. Like, give me numbers that are, like, what are the numbers since stage four has happened in the state of Indiana? How have testing numbers evolved over time? Like, get me more of graphs of, say, okay, since masks have been mandatory, this is is what it looks like. Since, you know, again, stage two happened, this is how it's evolved. I think, like, all of those numbers are so relevant. So, you know, I think us as a media has done a horrific job in giving the community relevant, accurate numbers to where – Okay, five thousand people have died from it wherever in the state of Indiana or the or the Midwest. That's a high number, of course it is. But how have those numbers changed? How have those numbers evolved? What are the demographics of those numbers? All of those things mean a whole lot. Mm-hmm. And so, selfishly, from a new standpoint, give it to me. Come on, I like be be better. So I know full well of like, okay, the NFL, you can make this work, or just general life and, and how I'm living. Well, from a topic that deep to we'll tone it down a little bit with this handle, Philip Rivers Celibacy. <laughs> How about that? <laughs> Go from that to that. Yeah. Wants to know, without seeing him in our system, what do you think Eason will have done with his time? 
What do I think he's going to have done? What does he mean by with his time? Like I'm, his off-season work? I, I'm, I'm assuming that's where my mind went. I mean. I guess I go back to what I said earlier, Chris, and this is a um, this is a bummer. Big bummer for Jacob Eason. Mm-hmm. We've talked about it before when I did the film breakdown. And for those that missed it, it's on 1075thefan.com. Jacob Eason needs reps. Perhaps more so than any other quarterback that was drafted. Let's say the preseason doesn't happen this year, Chris. Theoretically, Jacob Eason wouldn't play in 2020. Right. Obviously, the regular season. So that means in the year 2017, 2018, 2019, and 2020, Jacob Eason will have started one season of football. That's four years in a row for a 23-year-old quarterback who has intriguing traits but has admittedly said that he he needs more. Like, he mm-hmm. needs to grow. He needs to develop. So, you know, what do you think Eason will have done with his time? I mean, his footwork is the biggest fundamental aspect that needs work. And then he needs just to handle these concepts, to have a better knowledge base of the Colt system and just go to the line of scrimmage and say, that works that way, that way, you know, like those things um, are, are, are key as well. So, uh, I mean, huge. This is a huge, huge time for, for Eason, and it's just sorely missed. Yeah, your most recent article, he, he says that, yes, I am a gunslinger and I need to learn when to be a gunslinger and when not to. You're not going to learn unless you're in the game situations. Nope. Red jersey, you are, you are not not going to learn it. So, yeah, I mean, he, he has to be in game situations. Nathaniel has a fantasy football question for you. If Marlon Mack and Jonathan Taylor were available in the mid-rounds or later rounds, who would you draft or would you pick both? Could be injury-related or with the pandemic. You just don't know who would be available for game day. Yeah, I'm probably not picking both. I, I just don't. I want the highest ceiling available at, at running back. And You're not a handicap guy? No, mm-hmm. I'm just not. Or handcuff guy? I'm not. I, I, I'm not. So... Now, behind that offensive line, obviously both are very intriguing. I I probably would take Mack because I look at it this way, Chris. Early in the season, I expect Mack to get more of the run. By week four, week five, there's been three other injuries around the NFL that are significant running back. All have nabbed one of those running backs off the free agency wire, and boom, now I'm good. And now if Mack gets dialed back, I still would have had a starting caliber running back. Mm Mm-hmm a high-level starting caliber running back for, you know, the first quarter of the season, and now I've got this backup that has emerged as a starter that maybe wasn't drafted. So I guess that's how I would handle it. You know, injuries are going to happen. Then I'll scramble and find running backs elsewhere. That, that That's my fantasy mindset, coming from a guy that's never won a fantasy league. <laughs> John wants to know, is DeForest Buckner already the best defensive tackle the Colts have ever had without even taking a snap? Yes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the Colts have, um, it's safe to say, Chris, that the worst position in Indianapolis Colts franchise history has probably been defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Booger McFarlane for a year, Corey Simon for a couple months, Ellis Johnson probably is the best, former first-round pick. I mean, seriously, it, it's been a, um, it's been a sorry, when Danico Autry had that huge season a couple years ago, that was arguably the best mm-hmm. in Colts franchise history. I mean, one of my favorite Colts, uh, I don't know if you remember him, probably a decade ago, he'd strap up, have all this tape up, Eric Foster. Yep. Undersize, get the crowd into it. Right. He's the man. Great. Love the game of golf. I saw him around the Indy area playing a lot of golf. Um, 
Yes, DeForest Buckner is the best defensive tackle in 30-some years. Zach wants to know, what are some of the things that you would buy if you were just handed $500 million? Oh, my God. Where to begin? What couldn't you buy? I yeah, mean. I'd buy... Um, Gosh, I'd buy a lot of new golf clubs, belong to a lot of nice country clubs. I'd obviously, you know, set a lot of money aside for Rosie, um, make sure that my wife had what she wanted. Notre Dame season tickets. A life supply of crispy bacon. (laughs) What else? Doritos. Yeah, I, I yeah, those would, you, would be the things that, that would you have know. a building named after you at a university? Would you donate enough money to get a like no, the Kevin Bowen School no. of Broadcasting at IU? Oh, I don't know. I don't. I, I don't need that. My my ego is not not <laughs> not that big at all. Um, yeah, I would just I'd want food, golf, sports, and a happy family. Change the order around. Happy family first. Yeah. But, uh, I don't know. Crispy bacon for life would be awesome. <laughs> awesome. Joshua wants to know, do you believe that Okariki will be the starting middle linebacker by the end of the 2020 season? It's a great question, Joshua. I'll say yes, um, and I don't want that to be any knock on Anthony Walker because I, I like Walker. But, like, if the Colts are going to be like, we have this Pro Bowl caliber linebacker, how do you not play him a yeah. little bit more? You know, it's just – I don't think it's like a Kari Willis, a Clayton Gathers thing like we saw last year. We saw that very early in the year. I think it's going to be a slow progression, but – Again, if you think Bobby Okariki is a pro bowler, how does he not play a little bit more? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I, again, I, no, no knock on Walker, but probably. If Andrew Luck was still playing, would he have gotten him a Mahomes-type deal? Logan wants to know. Oh, gosh. Here's our Luck question. If Andrew Luck was still playing, would he have gotten him a Mahomes deal? Honestly, probably not. So Mahomes is what? Rookie contract is up. Mm-hmm. Andrew Luck, this would be third contract. So I just don't think – I mean, Luck is what? He's my age, so he's 30. I mean, you aren't signing him to a 12-year extension to get him to 42, are you? Right, no. Not to mention he tore his labrum. Mahomes, I don't think, has any injury history. That's certainly nothing of that extent. Um. So, yeah, I can't – I mean, and I don't want this again to be like Andrew Luck is, sucks. Andrew Luck would get a very healthy contract. In my opinion, he would be approaching MVP, Super Bowl-level type of player. Mm-hmm. So he would get a tremendous deal. But I also think, like, there's a business side to Luck that comes from his uncle being his agent and Oliver Luck of, like, dude, you're 30. Sign a five-year deal and then reset the market when you're 35 if you're still playing and you're still playing at a really high level. So, uh, no, I, I cannot see, honestly, a 12-year deal, 10-year extend or 12-year extension, 10-year deal. Let's stick with Andrew Luck for one more question from Steven. We're going to have people turn off the pod. I know. <laughs> Do you think Andrew Luck is going to see that huge payday Mahomes got and come back? <laughs> Laughingly, he says, I know he won't, but do you think he would make that much? And so you, you kind of. Yeah, I kind of answer that. But I don't, I don't think Andrew Luck is in it for the money. I, I just don't know. I mean, it's an incredible amount. I think Mahomes' injury guarantee is more than Luck made on that $140 million deal. But um, I tend to think Andrew Luck's got a bit of frugal nature to him. I think he saved well. Mm -hmm. His dad has had – how much money does dad make as a commissioner of the XFL? It was an absurd amount. Yeah. Um, 
I think the Lux are well off. They still have to pay him out, right? Is what I'm getting. I think that's a little bit like, of debate, right. you know, of Vince McMahon and Oliver Luck getting after it a little bit. So, uh, yeah, I don't think Luck looks at that money and is like, sign me back up. You know, it's. I honestly look at the Mahomes deal, and I think Kansas City did an outstanding job. They have the best player at the most important position of football under team security for 12 freaking years. Like, there's no opt-outs. There's mm-hmm. no trade clause. Like, 12 years is a long time. If Mahomes is fed up with you after four, you, contractually, you still have him. Right. You know, under team security. Now, obviously, I think, like, there would be some restructures in there. If Mahomes has two more MVP seasons and a couple Super Bowls, he's going to get some crazy bonuses. And Kansas City will reward him handsomely. But um, job well done by, by Kansas City. I, I thought he'd make a percentage of the cap. That's what I thought. I thought this would be structured in a way of if the cap continues to ascend, mm-hmm. you know, your quarterback gets paid whatever, 25% of the cap. I'm just throwing out a number. Right. Um, but obviously that's that's not the case. Former, I mean, NBA vet here, Latrell Sprewell. He's got a question. Twitter question? <laughs> yeah. From Spree? <laughs> Since we were likely losing all of preseason – it just seems silly to him to carry Jacoby's cap hit. Why not throw Clowney a ridiculous one-year deal? Yeah, Luttrell, it's a um, it's a fair question. Um, I just think now with COVID, they look at Jacoby as needed even more, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. And clearly, I don't think Clowney was ever squarely, squarely on the radar for them. Chris Bauer has made it very clear that they want to play their young guys. And while I think Clowney would be an upgrade in the immediacy here in 2020, I I get the long-term view at that position of, like, you've drafted these dudes in the second round. Like, it's time to start seeing them give you something. Um, So I understand that. And I also feel like the Colts' Rundy has been fairly good. Actually, has been better than fairly good under Eberflus. It's been a pretty good run defense. Now, the past defense has been horrific. But the run defense has been, you know, pretty good for you. Um, I just don't think Clowney ever met the value of what the Colts assigned to him. Of, And I also think this. Him going offsides, jumping offsides to end that game down there in Houston. I think it was the playoff game. Maybe it wasn't the playoff game. Maybe it was a regular season game a couple years ago. Remember that when mm-hmm. Luck just jumped higher than Phil Mickelson yeah. jumped when he won the Masters? <laughs> That's two Phil Mickelson references on back-to-back pods. Um, Ballard's got to see that and be like, I can't have that person that's that dumb play football for me. Like, Clowney jumps offsides three times a game, it seems like. And yeah. I, I honestly mean that. I, I feel like that is just like a sore eye on you mm-hmm. of like, nope. I'm sorry, I can't pay a guy $15 million if he's doing right. that. Wyatt wants to know, could you explain the difference between a free safety and a strong safety? Um, Sure. Um, strong safety, closer to the line of scrimmage, more of a thumper, more of a physical guy, uh, probably weighs a little bit more if you want to get technical. Free safety, a little bit of a roamer, coverage guy. Plays farther away from the line of scrimmage. Like Malik Hooker is your free safety. Clayton Gathers is your strong safety. I think that's Mm -hmm. kind of the easiest comparison if you're going to watch prior years of the Colts. Um, I do do think these positions are starting to mirror each other a bit, Chris. And there's teams, especially the Colts, that like don't necessarily 
want to kind of pigeonhole. Here's my strong safety that weighs 225. Here's my free sa- free safety that weighs 195. Mm-hmm. I, I think they want like a little bit interchangeable nature where when you have them on the field, you're not tipping your hand as much as yeah, right. maybe you were in prior years. Well, sticking with the safeties, Mike has a question, another Malik Hooker question for the podcast. He says, I know you're pretty convinced he's gone after the 2020 season, but what do you think, if anything, it takes for the Colts to re-sign him next year? Say he plays at a Pro Bowl level or even an All-Pro level. Do the Colts try and bring him back, or do you think that kind of season just earns him a bigger contract with another team? You know, Mike, it's a fair question, and and I'm glad that you asked that. Um, I think it would take this, Chris, combination of two things. Julian Blackman not progressing from the ACL, and, you know, Malik Hooker and the Colts were repairing a, a, a relationship that is cracked, broken, fractured, whatever you want to call it. There is some cracking mm-hmm. in that relationship. So it would take both of us. In my opinion, you know, I we all saw Malik Hooker on social media. He, yeah, he he wasn't the happiest camper when all that went down. You know, if he's an All Pro, Pro Bowl type player, I gotta assume he breaks the bank somewhere else. Yeah, because I keep on going back to the Jamal Adams questions that we've gotten in recent weeks of how much are you paying a safety? Blackman and Kari Willis on rookie deals is much more affordable than giving Malik Hooker top three safety money. Yep. And if he had an all-pro or Pro Bowl season, I think he would he would get that from somebody. It's like Marlon Mack at running back to me in a way of like, you have this investment of a younger player, one guy out the door, another guy in the door. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it has that feel to it. It's not as, um, Marlon Mack, there is a little bit of like, okay, yeah, I think they'd like to see him back. But um, again, the books are getting a little tight, man. Just just a little bit tighter. So I think you got to take that into consideration. Yeah, I was going to say, we're going to find out very soon what the Colts' strategy is going to be because you have all of those guys that we've talked about For on sure. numerous podcasts that are coming up on contracts. So we will see soon enough who they're using as building blocks and who they're going to just let walk. You know, it, it's one thing where that it, that's a great point that, that you bring up. I feel like the Colts were, um, they were kind of allowed to do their own thing the first couple of years. You know, Chris Ballard had this plan and, you know, we believe in it and all this stuff, and it's like, oh shit! Now we got to show our hand at quarterback. Uh, yep. We like Jacoby. We don't like him that much. And now it's like, oh, well, you got to start showing your hand at other places. And now these rookies that you've drafted are coming up on a contra- on a second contract. You know, Hooker. Uh, obviously, you got to show your hand there, mm-hmm. and they have kind of shown their hand already. So we're starting to kind of get to the point of like, the honeymoon is over. Now you've got to start making tough tough decisions and that's part of life is being a general manager in the nfl we'll mix it up here for just for a second for a question from jake it's a pacer question oh here we go cheeks is happy wants to discuss will the pacers trade victor oladipo next season at the trade deadline something just doesn't feel right jake how about that little pacers question chris you and i were talking before the pod we'll, we'll have a pacers pod uh before the orlando bubble resumes the pacers i think are the last team to go to Orlando. Uh, we've got to wrap up this podcast here in the next 15 minutes because i got a Nate McMillan call to get to. Um, Victor Oladipo, will they trade him before next season trade deadline? I mean, what the hell are you getting for Victor? I'm sorry, but I just don't. I, I don't think the return on the, the return for Victor is certainly not the return you got for Paul George. Right. Um, 
That was awkward, man. That was so awkward last <laughs> Friday. It was weird. It had it had a Paul George ring to it, and mm-hmm. that sounds harsh. I expect better out of Victor Oladipo. I expect better out of his camp. I don't get how 48 hours earlier you're talking about how you're in better shape than you were when they played Boston, and Kevin Pritchard saying the best shape he's seen you in, and Nate McMillan saying can't wait to get to Orlando and 5-on-5 five five and see how Victor reacts, and then all of a sudden it's like, yeah, I'm going to release it through the athletic that I'm done for the season. Yeah. Wow. No. Did you watch how Bradley Beal did it yesterday with the Wizards? Like, that. that's how you're supposed to do it. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just um, the entourage has gotten to Victor a bit. And, uh, again, that sounds harsh. I didn't think it would. I thought Victor was different. But um, it's gotten to him a little bit. And uh, I think I've made this clear before on podcasts. And, again, this is something we'll get into on the Pacers pod here in a couple of weeks. But um, I've just never been a big Victor Oladipo as an all-NBA type of guy. He had that season. I think it was a flash in the pan. And I think the injury has totally eliminated that ability to get back to that level. Unfortunately, mm-hmm. but Victor is a six-four shooting guard that needs to be an elite athlete to play as a top fifteen player in the league. And I have questions about the injury. Clearly, there are still questions about the yep. injury. He has some questions about it. And we're eighteen months into this, and this isn't Tony Parker, who can just run around picks and has great vision, and he's coming back from the injury. This is a freak athlete that is a streaky shooter. That if he has hesitancy about his athleticism, it's going to show. Yep. So, um, yeah, I didn't like that, man. It was um, just a bad, at least test it out. At least get, get in a five-on-five setting. If you get in there, then you and the Pacers collaborate and say, we didn't like what we saw or whatever, make it sound better than it is, and okay. The Pacers have this press release. It just doesn't sound, doesn't sound good to me. So there is a lot of repairing. Mm-hmm. That that needs to be done for Victor, but of course the Pacers are in a corner because it's like you're in this market, and there aren't Victor Oladipo type of players. I think he can still be an All Star guy for you, but All Star is not All NBA. Yeah. Um. Man, something about in this city, man. The Colts couldn't figure out Andrew Lux injuries, and seemingly the Pacers and Victor Oladipo can't get on the same page either. You know, I've always said it with, with, with Luck. So many people want to be like, the Colts were lying about Andrew Luck. I hope they were lying. Because if they weren't lying, that means they were misdiagnosing him. Mm-hmm. How are you misdiagnosing your $140 million franchise quarterback? That's just an incompetency on a medical standpoint that we can't have. No. We can't have for your franchise. So, oh, man. Yeah, we'll get into a Pacers pod in a couple weeks. Thomas, question for you. What is the Colts' rookie record for wide receiver touchdowns and yards? He could not find that online. Bill Brooks. Don't think a lot of people would expect that. 1,100 yards for Billy Brooks. Uh, Eight touchdowns for him. Marvin also had eight touchdowns. I'm a little surprised. Number two on the list in yards is uh, T.Y. Not Marvin. Not Reggie. Sean Dawkins. Jerome Payton. I mean, there are other guys that were Andre Rice. I mean, there are other guys. So, yeah, Indianapolis Colts' rookie record. Billy Brooks. So Chuck, calling you out a little bit here. Oh, this is Chuck. Chuck. Chuck loves to battle me. Let's battle. Here we go, Chuck. How can you Give say in the first thirty minutes of your podcast that a guard just doesn't have that much impact on the outcome of a game, and then by the end of the same podcast say the Colts should pay a guard twenty million dollars a season? Why pay a premium for a position that doesn't impact outcomes? Chuck's a battler. 
He is a battler. He um, The thing I love about Chuck is I've never heard a ch- compliment from, from Chuck in the history of these podcasts. What are we, 220-some into it? But every fifth podcast, he sends me one of these. Just And, and, and he doesn't back down. Chuck does not back down, which is good because we, we need Chucks. We need I, Chucks to absolutely. raise our level to a higher level. He's referencing last week's podcast, Quint Nelson Money Talk. Um, did you listen to last week's podcast? I listened to most of it, yes. Yes. So I don't know if you heard the Nelson question, but basically it was, you know, do you pay him? How much money do you pay him right. as as a guard? And you know, I'd reference he's got to make the most money of any guard in the league. What I will disagree with, with Chuck is that wording on the last part of, why pay a premium for a position that doesn't impact outcomes? No, it impacts outcomes. It just doesn't impact it as other positions on the football team. Obviously, quarterback, um, you know, being being atop that list. Chuck, I, I will say this. There is a debate for sure if you should pay a guard that type of money. I, I, I get that. I understand. It, it goes back to the whole running back debate. Why draft a running back in the second round? Like, people have... People have assigned resource value to positions in the NFL. Some have said, I will never take a running back in the first three rounds. Some, like Chuck, will say, I'm not going to pay a guard that much money. Mm -hmm. I hear you out. Where I would pay Nelson that much money is this. He's a freaking Hall of Famer. Yeah. You know, he's not Brandon Sheriff. He is a Hall of Fame type player. And... I just think that you pay him that money, and then you're going to have to get creative. Chris Ballard, you're going to earn your money. Mike Bloom, your capologist, is going to have to earn their money. Like, you got to hit on more draft picks. You've got to find the rookie quarterback that is on the on the rookie deal. You've got you're going to have to make some adjustments. But when you've got a Hall of Famer, I know the position doesn't impact the game as consistently as other spots on the team, but um, he's just too good. Too good for me to walk away from it. And I honestly think Nelson would, I think he'd find your happy medium. His agent would say, make him the highest paid guard. Nelson would also say, let's let's construct this in a way that we can make it work where I'm helping the market value of the other guards in the NFL, but I'm also not tying our uh, hands behind our back as a football team, mm-hmm. trying to build a championship team. Yeah. Stick with Nelson again. Because old Daner has a question regarding the podcast and the dog names that sparked one for mm. him. The Colts and especially Reich always talk about dog mentality, quote unquote, we need some dogs. For the current Colts, what name type would you associate for a few? Example, Nelson, a Tibetan Massive. And I'm going to let you take this one because I grew up without any pets. So I don't know anything about dog breeds. So. Cheeks, do you know anything about dog breeds? <laughs> I've never heard of a Tibetan m- Mastiff. What the, that sounds I'm intimidating. It's a big dog. Yeah, I had a black lab growing up, Rudy. Rudy with an eye. Oh, yeah. I think I mentioned that on last week's podcast. She was a female. Um, I mean, I don't know. My uncle had a lot of Rottweilers growing up. They were intimidating. Yeah. So I think of Nelson as that. I think of Grover Stewart. You know, his position coach called him a barroom brawler. I mm-hmm. kind of think of that. Um, I I don't again. I'm not like well versed in the dog breeding area of life. Isn't like a hound dog kind of like a like a like a fast hunting type of dog or just always like I don't know. Yeah, a blue tick hound is. Uh, I, yeah, to me that's like a Kenny Moore. You don't think Kenny Moore's got like that that 
and I don't mean this in a negative way, Kenny, oh if you're listening, but like that's small dogs just seem to always feel like yeah. they're bigger than they are. Is he like so, that small dog that still gets into the middle of? I was thinking for a terrier. I was thinking Kari Willis. Okay. A little bit small, not as small as Kenny, but like you just kind of turn your head and you're like, wow, there's Kari Willis again. <laughs> you know, you're kind of like, didn't I just shut the door? How are you outside? Right. You know, or like, I thought you were behind that tree two minutes ago and now you're jumping in the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess I could see Kenny Moore a little bit like that. So, yeah, old Daner, it's a great question. Um, yeah, I'll just I'll just take your word for it on the old Tibetan action. <laughs> Hopeful Eason is the future. Has a, wants to know. Do you think that this could end the Chad Kelly experiment? Seems like they might want to keep another position instead of four quarterbacks. So I think this is in reference to if they limit numbers on a roster. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said earlier, why not have one practice squad for every position? Yeah. So seemingly one practice spot. So seemingly Chad Kelly would be your practice squad quarterback. That could be a, a thing. Um. I don't. I don't think this also all of a sudden like ends the Chad Kelly experiment. Now let me say this: I don't think the Chad Kelly experiment is going anywhere, but I don't think it ends it because I think quarterbacks mean a lot right now with COVID type of stuff. So, um, you know, as long as you can make it work from a number standpoint, like Chad Kelly was dressing as a backup quarterback at some point in the NFL right. last year and did it for Denver as well. So like, it's not like he's Eason, honestly. Um, so, yeah, I don't think it totally ends it. I don't. Benji, would love to hear your thoughts on the tweet by Eric Ebron. Have any inside info on what he means by, quote-unquote, that management and what goes on behind closed doors? Oh, my God, Ebron. Will you pull up that tweet? Pull up pull up the Ebron tweet that he had. He uh... Yeah, so on July 2nd. Was this an outright tweet or was he responding to somebody? He was, was responding to Zach Hicks. Gotcha. So Zach said, Zach I, great work. I get that some Colts fans are a bit bitter towards Eric Ebron after last season, but I think most are forgetting how good he was in 2018. Had some drops for sure, but he was outstanding the entire season and made some big plays on that playoff run, to which Eric Ebron replied, loved everything about Indy. Even if I could ever come back, I would in a heartbeat, just not under that management. Shrugged shoulders, but Indy and Colts family have been amazing to me and my family. Boy, yeah, um, that's so Ebron. So Ebron. Um, all right, Benji wants to know any inside info on what he means by that management. I, you know, I think he groups honestly Frank Reich into it as well. I know when you hear management, you hear only Chris Ballard. Mm-hmm. I think he groups Frank Reich into it because he wasn't happy with his playing time before he decided to go golf in Houston for the final two months of the season. <laughs> I mean, he, he wasn't. So playing time is who? Playing time is Frank Reich. So um, there's just an accountability issue with, with Ebron that he just never – he just doesn't grasp. He doesn't, he doesn't get that. He doesn't understand that. When adversity hits him, he gets into tornado drill position. You know, mm-hmm. he, he gets into I, I'm crumbling up and I'm I, – I, I, he doesn't want to face it. doesn't want to face it. Um, clearly hears it. Clearly hears it, man. I mean, gosh. Seeks it out yeah. sometimes as well. So, yeah, um, I think that's what he means. Obviously not happy with Ballard by some of the comments that Ballard made, but I think there's, there's also a, rice, a 
Reich factor into it as well. Two more here. Um, RT Smooth, let's talk about another former Colt. AQ Shipley is a free agent. Could he be a useful center slash guard depth? If nothing else, a camp body. What's your take? AQ. I loved AQ's time here. Great guy. Terrific individual. Um, Should have stayed here, honestly. Uh, he wants a camp body, AQ Shipley. I think AQ looks at the depth chart and he's like, I'm 34. I started every game probably for Arizona the last two or three years. I'm not going there to be a backup. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he is the interior. The Colts have made some draft picks in the interior. So um, now if Ryan Kelly tears his ACL, you know, week one of training camp, maybe that shifts some things in, in your line of thinking. But, um, boy, really good run for AQ Shipley in the NFL. Oh, yeah. So I, I like him, but, again, I don't think he's, like, seeking out a depth position behind an offensive line that has no signs of changing that that starting five. Right. Last question for the podcast this week on the Twitter questions. Andy wants to know, who do you think has a higher ceiling and why, Ture or Banigou? Andy, it's it's almost like, what's your flavor of ice cream? I mean, what do you want? If you want the pure rusher, that's Ture. And I think a lot of people would gravitate towards Ture because that's the eye-popping aspect of the defensive end position. But if you want a three-down guy that could be a 16-game starter for the next 10 years, I think it could be Banigou. Mm-hmm. So I think it all depends on what you want from a flavor standpoint there. Um, I like mixing and matching. You know, at some point, you'd probably like for those two guys to be your bookends, you know, opposite of each other. But, um, you know, Ture, I might give the slight edge to just because I think pass rushing means more. But still, I don't want to lose sight of I think Banneke can be a really good player for you and has the potential to be more of the complete for a second, third down guy. Yeah. Well, those are the Twitter questions for the week, Kev. Awesome. I know we missed probably about a dozen or so. We'll get to those on next week's podcast. Like I mentioned, defensive questions we'll get into. And obviously, any sort of news tidbits that come out for the next week. Uh, Everybody have a great weekend. Stay safe. Chris Presley, Cheeks, Kevin Bowen. Appreciate you guys listening to Kevin's Corner. If you haven't in a while, feel free to leave us a rating, comment on uh, on iTunes or uh, any other podcast platforms you guys are listening on. We would greatly appreciate that. And uh, we'll be back next Tuesday or Wednesday with a Kevin's Corner. Peace.